One, two, three. All right, so let's start talking about epilepsy basics. My name is Dr. Bill Okoda. I'm a board certified neurologist and epileptologist. I just thought this talk would be helpful to kind of put some of the epilepsy basics in the forefront so everyone knows you know, how to refer to their seizures and how to discuss their seizures with their doctors. And I think you know, this doesn't have to be a foreign language. Um, we can definitely break it down and try to make it easier. And that way, the communication between the physician and the patient can be much improved, I think. Um, so I have no disclosures, but please note that this is educational only. This is not personalized medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns, definitely discuss that with your treating physician. He, they're the only person who is allowed to legally medically advise you. Um, next, I will be using some abbreviations. ASM is anti-seizure medication. PWE is person with epilepsy and WWE is woman with epilepsy. So this is a brief outline of what we'll be discussing today. Now, the very last bullet point, social issues, I'm gonna make that a separate talk for another time because as you can see, there's a lot going on there. And I think if I don't, to do you know these topics separately it's going to be far too much to digest in one um, presentation so what i'll try to do with this presentation is talk about seizures epilepsy what's the difference between seizures and epilepsy how do you diagnose um, focal versus generalized epilepsies the different types of seizures that are out there as well as triggers um, and the type of treatments that are out there as you can see this in itself is a lot of information. And I think in the future, I'll, I'll try to do specific talks include involving each bullet point that way we're more in depth. Um, but yeah, we'll start there. And then we'll briefly also discuss seizure emergencies. Um, I say briefly because again, seizure emergencies can be a whole talk in and of itself, but this is just going to be a basic talk giving you a little bit of everything. Um, and then we can totally build upon that moving forward. All right, so what is a seizure? Well, we all know that your brain is run by electricity, um, by little brain cells called neurons. Um, and anything that disrupts the smooth flow of electricity in the brain can cause a seizure. So basically what I explain to patients is your brain and your heart, they both function with electricity, right? If something goes wrong with the electricity in your heart, you can have a heart attack, but if something goes wrong with the electricity of your brain, that can certainly cause a seizure to occur. A seizure is basically when all of these neurons fire at once, which we call hypersynchronization, and it presents as a seizure. Anything can cause it, anything that disrupts that nice, smooth flow of electricity. Um, this is a nice diagram from very well. It has different, um, different signs of a seizure. As we know, this is not it, these seven things that they have signified but they're very common. Um, the confusion, the aura, the sudden falls, the staring, the uncontrolled jerky movements, the emotions, the sensations, um, and the loss of awareness overall. 
Um, I'm, I'm sorry about any noise in the background. I do live within New York City, so street noise. Now, a little bit more about seizures. Uh, well, seizures are really not that common. About three to five percent of the general population can have a seizure in their lifetime. So that's a pretty significant number. Um, but out of all of those people, only about 30% will go on to have a second seizure. And the likelihood is higher that you are going to be within that 30% if your MRI and your EEG are abnormal. So what does this kind of signify? This signifies that seizure does not mean epilepsy. You can have a seizure without having epilepsy. For instance, if your seizure was provoked um, by certain factors, that is not epilepsy. That's not your brain spontaneously having a seizure in and of itself, right? That is a provoked seizure. Um, so what things can provoke seizures? Hyponatremia with your sodium being less than 130, hypoglycemia with your, with your sugar being less than 70, uh, various drugs and toxins, some of which are listed here, those can all provoke a seizure in someone who does not have epilepsy. They can also provoke seizures in patients who do have epilepsy, but that's when the workup comes in. If you're someone with epilepsy, your MRI and EEG are more likely to be abnormal. Um, just going back again to this slide, I will say that in my experience, there are many patients who have had one seizure who will not have a second one. Um, so if you have had one seizure, definitely see a doctor um, because they might not start you on medication, but they will get the workup. And it's good, good to know what your likelihood of having a second seizure is. So the MRI and the EEG will be helpful because, you know, the first seizure might not have, you know, hurt you too much. It might have, it's hard to say, but a subsequent seizure, if you're not prepared, could be deadly. Imagine you're driving or doing something that can injure you or a loved one. So that's why any seizure should be worked up. So what are the warning signs of a seizure? Um, and this is for someone who has definite epilepsy. So warning signs of a seizure is you can have an aura where you, you know, your body's warning you something's going on and a seizure happens. And then there's a subsequent postictal period. This doesn't happen for everyone, of course, but it, it is the common phases that we look at. Um, and the postictal period as is written here um, can lead to a lot of lethargy, tiredness, changing in behavior, thinking, and mood, and even motor function. Sometimes this can last for minutes to hours to days. So everyone's postictal period is going to be different, just like everyone's aura is going to be different. So what exactly then is epilepsy? You know, I just said seizure doesn't mean you have epilepsy. Well, epilepsy is a chronic, usually a lifetime condition in which your brain is predisposed to creating seizures and you are predisposed to having seizures. Here's the distinction between seizures and epilepsy. Um, a seizure is when, like we said, an electrical, sorry for the typo, it's a, a normal electrical activity in which the brain cells hypersynchronized, could be due to provoked metabolic abnormalities and you don't always need a daily medication if your seizures are always provoked. You just gotta avoid the triggering factors. But epilepsy is when you're prone to having seizures. They can be provoked, they can be unprovoked. This usually requires a daily medication to prevent the seizures and it's a chronic lifelong condition. So how do you know you have epilepsy and not just seizures? So you have to have two or more seizures in your lifetime. They have to be unprovoked and they have to be 24 hours apart. 
So, you know, an example I give is let's, let's say someone took a ton of ketamine, right? And now they've had two seizures within one day. That doesn't mean you have epilepsy. Uh, for your diagnosis of epilepsy, you have to have two seizures. They have to be unprovoked and they have to be more than 24 hours apart. So that's how you diagnose epilepsy. Or, or you can have one seizure with positive EEG, meaning the EEG shows findings concerning for epilepsy, which is spiky and brainwaves, um, or spiky and sharp brainwaves, excuse me, or your MRI is abnormal. So for instance, if you definitely have one seizure and your EEG shows spiky brainwaves in the temporal region, that's pretty consistent with temporal lobe epilepsy. Or if you've had a seizure um, and your MRI shows a brain tumor, that is significant for epilepsy because now your chances of having a second seizure are high and you need to be on seizure medications. Nocturnal seizure, I put in question mark because there is some data that if you have a seizure out of sleep, even if that's the only one you've ever had, your chance of having a subsequent seizures is high. Um, this suggests that your seizure might be either frontal or temporal onset. This is still up for debate, but you know I do agree with it. I think in my clinical practice, I've seen this happen quite a bit. So what is an MRI? Um, magnetic resonance imaging, they put you in uh, this pretty claustrophobic little donut. I've been in there too. Uh, to detect any abnormalities. Um, it is more detailed than a CT scan. A CT scan will show you like bony structures. It'll show blood in the brain or brain tumors. An MRI really takes a close look at that soft tissue in the brain. Think of an MRI as like 4D TV as opposed to a CT scan, which is like a little black and white, you know, pixelated image. So an MRI is definitely better to find abnormalities can be done with or without contrast. For some patients, we do allow them to have like Xanax or some kind of benzodiazepine to take that anxiety away. Because again, this thing is um, can, be, can be claustrophobic. There are some open MRIs, I think, but that's something to discuss with your doctor. I mean, in EEG, most everyone who has had a seizure is familiar with this. They put stickers on your head, you go home with it sometimes, um, and it reports your brain waves during wakefulness, drowsiness, and sleep. Um, there's small metal discs that are strapped onto your scalp via glue or some paste. They record how smoothly your brain waves are functioning. Brain waves are supposed to be inherently nice and smooth, but if they start looking sharp and spiky, it's possible that that area can create seizures and what we call has epileptogenic potential. There's several different types of EEGs. There are routine EEGs, ambulatory EEGs, and inpatient EEGs. So let's talk about epilepsy in terms of generalized versus full bold. Those are the two big categories of epilepsy we know. Um, generalized means the whole brain is affected by the seizures, whereas focal means seizures are coming from one part of the brain. Now, focal seizures can also generalize, but there is a focus that's causing the abnormality and can spread. Generalized seizures, there's no focality. The whole brain is pretty much irritable. Um, focal seizures tend to be the most common type of seizures or the most common type of epilepsy, focal epilepsy is. Generalized epilepsy is a little less common, but also pretty frequent. You see generalized mostly in children um, and focal mostly in adult, but certainly kids can have focal epilepsies as well, especially in cases of things like focal cortical dysplasia, paraventricular nodular heterotopia, um, hypoxic injury, things like that. 
So here's some of the causes of focal epilepsy. Um, you know, we just named a few in the prior slide, but congenital abnormalities, like if you're born with some kind of structural abnormality in your brain, that can cause focal epilepsy. As you get older and you have strokes or tumors or trauma to the brain, that can also contribute to focal epilepsies. The diagnosis here is with EEG and an MRI. Um, medications are the primary line of treatment, but if you have tried medications and are still having seizures, you can actually do surgery for focal epilepsy. Um, and that needs to be a talk in and of itself because there's so many surgical methods that you can do. Um, but usually patients go into a pre-surgical evaluation to figure out what's right for them. Um, there's devices you can use, an RNS and a DVS. Uh, sometimes VNS is used as well. Um, I forgot to put that in there. Actually, VNS was first approved for focal epilepsy. So you can certainly use it. Um, but it's less helpful, I think, in adults and more in children. Um, other things that are effective in focal epilepsies, but not quite so much are the different diets, the keto, the Atkins, um, the modified Atkins, the um, low glycemic index diets, all of those. And CBD, um, CBD, aka Epidiolex, which is the only approved CBD oil um, on the market right now not approved for focal epilepsies. In the trials, they didn't see that it made a difference. It is approved for generalized epilepsies, specifically lung disgustive syndrome, Gervais, and tuberous sclerosis. Now, generalized epilepsies, like I mentioned, that they are less common um, and they can be genetic. They are diagnosed younger in life. Um, these are more sensitive to triggers, and we'll talk about triggers in subsequent slides. The diagnosis here is also with an EEG and an MRI. Again, medication patients are going to be your first line of treatment. VNS is used a lot in generalized epilepsy, and I think it works, especially in kids, um, and specifically for like drop seizures. I think VNS is not a bad idea. Uh, CBD and diets are shown to be really effective in generalized epilepsies, especially in younger people. Surgery is less likely to be effective because the purpose of surgery is to take out the focus of the brain and that's creating the seizures. In generalized epilepsy, there's nothing to take out. Now, DBS, which is a new surgical intervention, um, can be used in generalized epilepsies, but it is relatively new and not every center does it. And again, that can be its own talk, but that's another surgical intervention that recently came out that can help some generalized epilepsies. So here's a slide kind of separating one from the other, generalized, younger patients, focal, older patients, again, there's no, um, there's no like rule book for epilepsy. This is not always the case. This is just what we see most frequently. Um, and then generalized epilepsies are triggered a lot. Um, and the triggers we'll talk about, like I said, in subsequent slides are going to be stress, sleep deprivation, all things like that. Focal, not as sensitive, but also can be. Um, generalized epilepsies, usually you don't have your aura before you have your big seizures, whereas with focal seizures, you can't have an aura beforehand. Um, you're not an ideal surgical candidate with generalized epilepsy, whereas with focal epilepsies, resective surgery can be an option because there is something to resect. So why does all of this matter? Why don't you just have epilepsy? And I, you know, the, it's a good question gets asked a lot, but I try to, you know, make it a point that people know what type of epilepsies they have. And the reason for that is if you don't know what type of epilepsy you have, it's really hard to treat. And that's because not all medications work for both. In fact, some medications can make generalized epilepsies worse. Medications such as trileptal, carbamazepine, which is Tegretol, 
Um, those types of medications can make generalized epilepsies worse. Um, also, not everyone's a surgical candidate. If you're getting worked up for epilepsy surgery, you should know what your options are. Um, lifestyle management also becomes important because as I said, some are more sensitive to triggers compared to others. And then lastly, I, for prognosis, right? Everyone wants to know, am I gonna have this for the rest of my life? What can I do to make things better? Um, how can I be more controlled? So it's really important to differentiate. And I think more doctors should also be focusing on that. Um, I'm not saying doctor's zone, but it's also it's very important for a doctor and a patient to be on the same page. Um, and what do seizures look like with both of these? Well, you can, with both focal and generalized epilepsies, you can have the generalized tonic-clonic seizures, right? Where you fall to the ground, you shake, um, you bite your tongue. It's what I call the Hollywood seizures because it looks really dramatic. Um, so both, both can occur with both types of seizures. However, that's more common in generalized epilepsy where you just have that tonic-clonic seizure. When it comes to focal epilepsy, seizures can look like anything. They can look like, you know, they can also just look like nothing. They can sometimes even come without loss of awareness. Like the patient actually knows they're having a seizure, which can be freaky. For instance, focal motor seizures, which means it affects one part of the brain and it's purely motor. Like, let's say you're just feeling your right arm twitch and that's your focal motor seizure. Well, sometimes that can happen without you being confused or losing awareness. So you're like, oh, and you often see that in patients um, who have structural abnormalities like brain tumors or strokes. Um, so that's an example of a seizure that can occur without, um, without loss of awareness. So seizures that are focal can be with or without loss of awareness. They can just be sensations, they can be motor, um, they can be emotional. So all of those things can be focal seizures. And they can also start small and spread. Like I said, the big Hollywood seizures can occur with both types. They're just more common with the generalized epilepsy. For focal epilepsies, it's more common for them to start small, which you know kind of contributes to your aura. And then it spreads to the big convulsions. Um, and not everyone has the generalized tonic-clonic seizures, for instance. Um, there are people who just have focal motor or focal sensory seizures, never gets bigger than that. It's difficult to say why that is. Again, there's no rule book when it comes to epilepsy, right? You, you have what you have and you just kind of have to work from there. This is the classification. The ILAE is the International League Against Epilepsy. It sounds kind of crazy, like the Avengers or something, but it's an actual thing and they're the ones who name these seizures. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of this, but just so you know, this is what our side of things looks like. Like when I'm seeing a patient, I'm trying to figure out if it's generalized onset or focal onset. When, if it's one or the other, what type is it? Is it motor or non-motor um, and things like that. And sometimes it's unknown and we go into that unknown unclassified regions. But that's basically kind of the big diagram we're working from. At the bottom you see if it's focal to bilateral tonic-clonic. That's just a fancy way of saying the seizure starts in a focus and spreads and becomes tonic-clonic. Um, now we talk about aware and aware seizures. I just want to note that it, it, the reason some people have seizures without loss of consciousness is really just because it's a small area of the brain that's affected where it's small enough or it's big enough rather that it causes a seizure, but it's small enough that it doesn't cause loss of awareness, if that makes sense. And because of these, some of these smaller seizures aren't always picked up by EEG. So you might 
you know, if the suspicion is there for seizures and the EEG doesn't pick it up, like I think about 90% of these smaller seizures might not fully be picked up, especially if there's no loss of consciousness associated with it. So I think definitely something for you to discuss with your doctor. And obviously if there is suspicion, I always are on the side of treating um, to see how the person responds. But of course that's not preferable for everyone. Um, and definitely should be discussed further with the physician who is treating you. Um, now, focal aware seizures. Uh, again, we kind of already discussed this. I'm not going to talk about this as much. Um, but sometimes the one thing I do want to say is people say auras are my are part of their seizure, but auras in and of themselves can be a seizure. Like imagine you have like a weird sensation and you haven't lost consciousness. And then that becomes a bigger seizure where you're confused and now you black out. That little aura period um, prior to it is actually a small focal unaware seizure that is spreading to become a focal unaware seizure that's spreading to become a tonic-clonic seizure, if that makes sense. Um, because again, like you said, a focal aware seizure is big enough to make a change, but small enough where you are not losing consciousness, right? So once that spreads, you are losing consciousness. So because of that, auras are often just focal aware seizures. Um, now, focal unaware seizures we've already talked about, these are more likely to show up on EEGs. Um, you can have anything with them, um, but you wouldn't know because you're confused, you've lost consciousness, staring, jerking, limb movements, mouth movements, whatever. And these often do become the bigger tonic-clonic seizures. Um, now, generalized tonic-clonic seizures, again, there's no real aura associated with them, but they have a very high injury potential, and this is what we want to try to prevent. Tongue biting, bowel and bladder incontinence, foaming at the mouth, that's the classic picture. Now, I said we were going to talk about triggers. These are the most common triggers for seizures. Sleep deprivation, stress, alcohol and toxins, stimulants, photosensitivity, missed meds, and hormones, especially for ladies. So why does sleep deprivation affect seizure frequency? We actually don't quite know, but we do know our sleep-wake cycle is tied to electrical activity of the brain. Um, so based on that, there can be a link. Also your hormone shift during your sleep-wake cycle, which can also affect seizures. Now, a lot of this, we don't have concrete evidence on, um, and we don't have definitive studies. Part of the reason is it's the brain. Everyone's brain is going to be different. It's really hard to say this is it because your brain does not function like a textbook, but this is just kind of what we've observed um, and extrapolated. And I think this makes sense. Um, these are just some tips to improve sleep quality. I'm not really going to go into it. You guys can pause and read. I mean, it's basically everything that most people already know, right? Like seven to eight hours a day, avoid naps, make sure your room is comfortable, um, avoid caffeine and exercise close to bedtime. Um, if this is still an issue, there are medications that can help. Talk to your doctor and maybe see a sleep specialist um, and go from there. Stress can affect your brain in many ways. Um, it can lower your seizure thresholds as well. Um, we'll do a separate lecture on mindfulness, I think it's important, but these are just a couple of things that have been suggested by um, the Epilepsy Foundation. Next is alcohol. I mean, alcohol can interact with your seizure medications, making them less effective. However, um, the hangover period is really nasty for seizures as well because you're dehydrated, you haven't slept, you might've missed your medications the night before. It's all a mess, avoid it if you can. 
um, stimulants. We mostly think of stimulants as illegal over-the-counter, illegal stimulants, but there are over-the-counter stimulants that can also be bad for seizures. Doesn't mean you can't get your ADHD treated. Um, definitely talk with your doctor. There are ways around this, um, but avoid the illegal stimulants. <laughs> Photosensitivity, um, we talk about this a lot, and that's why we flash lights during um, your EEGs. Photosensitive epilepsy is actually not that common, um, only in about three to 5% of people with generalized epilepsy. But you know, in, in patients where it's common, it actually shows pretty significant results on EEGs. This is things like Jovan syndrome, certain absence epilepsies. Uh, so all of those can trigger seizures, um, especially if you're someone in general with generalized epilepsy. Catamenial epilepsy, I have already done a talk on, definitely can do more talks on that, um, but hormonal shifts, especially in women, especially during vulnerable periods like puberty, adolescence, um, you know, or throughout your life, to be quite honest, I think it, women can be affected by catamenial epilepsy, even going into menopause. So it's really important to know um, and find a practitioner who is comfortable dealing with this. Um, treatment, there's a lot of medications. This is a link to the Epilepsy Foundation's website on the medications because certainly I do not have enough time to go into all of them. There's about 30 or so of them. Um, not every medication works for everyone and that's why a discussion with your doctor is helpful. Ooh, now surgery. Okay, so 30% of patients will be drug resistant. So out of everyone with epilepsy, it's gonna be about 30% who are gonna be on two medications at good dosages and they're still having seizures. So for those patients, if you're interested in surgery, what we do is a pre-surgical evaluation where you come to the hospital and we try to capture some seizures. Um, you need at least two to three seizures. We start bringing down your medication, sleep depriving you, doing the flashing lights. Um, some centers will allow alcohol, anything to try to see some seizures. And the purpose of that is to see where exactly your seizures are coming from, to see if it is even an area that we can try to resect or take out. Part of it is a PET MRI, which is like an even more detailed MRI study, memory testing, a psych evaluation. Um, and once all of that information is there, we present you guys at a surgical conference, which is often called a multidisciplinary conference, where all the epilepsy doctors and neurosurgeons come together and kind of discuss the results and see what the next step for you should be. It's usually a consensus, um, and that way it's not just one doctor making that decision for you. Um, let me, okay, so that's resective surgery. Um, resective surgery, is something that I think definitely we can discuss in the later on period, but this neurostimulation is non-resective surgery, right? So what can you do if you can't take something out? Well, you can put something in. There's a couple options. VNS is the oldest. It works um, by stimulating the vagus nerve, small pulses of energy um, to try to help neuromodulation. It's used in focal and generalized epilepsies. I've seen it be more effective in kids. Um, RNS is a little newer. It's kind of like the pacemaker of the heart. It can monitor, modulate um, electrical activity to prevent seizures. This is um, something that will require surgery. I mean, VNS does as well, but VNS can be a same-day surgery because it's not actual brain surgery. The 
device goes in your chest and the magnet goes on your vagus nerve. So you get it put in and you can go home right away. Whereas RNS, you're gonna stay in the hospital because they have to put the pacemaker um, interrogator like underneath your skull um, and the electrodes actually in your brain. Um, and both the VNS and the RNS need to be programmed. So once you're done and out of the hospital, you do have to keep coming back to get your settings adjusted for it to work. Now, DPS is the newest one. Similarly, you have to, after it's put in, keep coming back to get it adjusted. However, DBS is interesting because you know a neurosurgeon will put the electrodes in a specific area of the brain called the thalamus. This is a deep area, um, as opposed to some of the more um, some of the other devices where the electrodes might not be put in that deep. They put it in the thalamus and it um, transmits again stimulation to try to modulate the excitatory impulses of the brain. All of these devices work to neuromodulate. Again, DBS is the newest one. It's been used for depression because it also neuromodulates neurons in that sense. Um, but recently, you know, it, there's been recently good data in terms of epilepsy and seizures. Um, so, so we'll see where this goes. Um, they use it mostly in focal and multifocal epilepsies, but I think generalized epilepsies as well. Um, again, DBS and RNS is for adults. VNS can be used in children. Diets, again, could be a whole other thing in itself. Not all diets, however, are helpful for everyone. It's seen mostly to be efficacious in kids with generalized epilepsies. Um, modified Atkins and keto are the ones that are most beneficial in epilepsies, but you definitely need a dietitian or nutritionist or, or a dietitian or nutritionist, I'm sorry, and an epilepsy doctor following along because doing it on your own can lead to a lot of side effects. CBD um, is kind of a hot topic, right? Um, so I'll I'll just say this: with recreational marijuana, there's been no um, there's been no actual research supporting its use in epilepsy. Um, the other thing is, it's really hard to regulate um, recreational marijuana because we don't know what's actually in it. If you're getting it from a dispensary, that might not be that. Um, that might not be that reliable, I think, if that makes sense. I mean, if you find a place that works for you and it's helping your epilepsy and your doctor is cool with it and you're in a state that allows it, I don't see problems with it. However, the only FDA approved formulation is Epidiolex, which has only been proven to be efficacious in Gervais, Lennox, Gisto, and also now tuberculosis and mostly for drop seizures. Um, so that's my take on that. The other thing I just want to add as a side note with recreational marijuana is um, definitely talk to your doctor. I know some, some people might not want to discuss it with their provider, but the reason I say that is because recreational marijuana, I've seen affect seizure drug levels and also your liver function tests. So you don't want to kind of hide that fact because you do need those things checked regularly when you're on recreational marijuana. So if you're using that to help your seizures, again, if you're in a state where that's not an issue and you find it helpful and your doctor's on board with it, totally, totally fine. You just have to get the right type of monitoring. And even with CBD, we check liver function tests and seizure drug levels. So it kind of applies to everything. Um, now rescue medications, like we discussed, um, can also be their own thing. 
But basically my rule of thumb is if your seizures are lasting longer than um, three minutes, you would give this. However, I think in patients who don't have frequent seizures, any big seizure, I would just do rescue medications for. But your parameters are going to be different. They're going to be individualized. So definitely talk to your doctor before you consider giving any of this to find out what your parameters should be. Um, but prolonged seizures or clusters of seizures where you're having multiple in an hour, um, because those can get dangerous. Now you're heading into status epilepticus territory, but you want to be aware of that. Um, rectal gel, there's an orally dissolving tablet, there's nasal sprays, there's an action plan on the Epilepsy Foundation's website, and you can use that if your child has epilepsy or if you're a caregiver for anyone with epilepsy and how to deploy any of this. You come up with a plan, your provider signs off on it. Uh, just touching briefly on what status epilepticus is, it's seizures that don't stop by themselves. Um, any seizure that lasts longer than five minutes means a person is in status. There is a high risk of death when it comes to someone in status, like permanent brain damage. You want to avoid that. So that's why the rescue medications are there to, to try to prevent this from happening. But anytime someone's having repetitive seizures or seizure or seizures ongoing and it's not stopping, you have to call 911, get someone in there immediately. They probably need IV seizure medications, which can only be given in an emergency room setting and probably further care to evaluate why this is happening and how to prevent it from happening again. No, no epilepsy talk is going to be complete without touching on SUDEP. SUDEP is rare but it happens about one in a thousand people with epilepsy. Uh, people don't think you can die from epilepsy, but you absolutely can. Usually it's due to injuries, right? Like a drowning injury or like you hit your head so hard, you can have a bleed and pass away. But SUDEP is especially scary because it happens suddenly and it can happen in your sleep and there's no other cause of um, why this happened other than the person has epilepsy. And the reasoning behind that is usually when you have a big seizure, your brain and your lungs work to kind of compensate for that and get you through that event. In some people who have poorly controlled epilepsy, and even in some people who do have controlled epilepsy, you could have a seizure and your brain and heart just kind of don't compensate anymore. And that's what we think happens in the case of SUDA. Um, there are alerts like alarm alerts, especially if someone's having nighttime seizures, that puts them at higher risk for SUDEP. So if you're living with someone with nighttime seizures, that'd be helpful. Um, and getting the best seizure control possible is the best way to avoid SUDEP from happening. Um, again, seizure first aid certification. I've posted about this before, but definitely try to get it done. I think a lot of us are CPR certified, but this certification I think is important as well because one in 26 people can have a seizure. So you should know what to do. Um, the mnemonic is triple S. You stay with the person, you keep them safe, you turn them to the side. You can call, definitely call 911 if you don't know the person. If it's someone you know and you have emergency medication with you, you can deploy it. But definitely call 911 if you're ever concerned. There's never a wrong reason to do so. Please don't put anything in anyone's mouth. People still do this. That's a choking hazard. Don't restrain the person. They will fight you because they are confused um, and loosen anything by their neck if they have a tie, anything on. These are some of the resources um, that I think are helpful. Uh, that Epilepsy Foundation I always talk about. I think they're great. Um, and here are some other websites that can be helpful. 
and that's kind of it for this talk. Um, I, I, I just thought it was funny because the heart's always looking for the good and the brain sometimes looking for the bad. But hopefully, you know, this, this talk was helpful. It wasn't all bad. Um, but I think the more knowledge you have, the better when it comes to dealing with epilepsy um, and controlling seizures, just like any health condition, the, the better you take care of yourself, the better it is in terms of long-term prognosis. Um, so that is it. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, if you have any other questions or suggestions for future topics, just shoot me a message and let me know. Thank you so much.